when you're a, a CEO of your own company for this long, <laughs> you want to get out and experience other styles of leadership, other organizational structures, because if you can't do that, you don't learn, you don't move forward. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Well, I have to say I am super excited about this interview today and the story associated with it. Joining me is Jessica Gomez, founder and CEO of Rogue Valley Micro Devices, a microelectromechanical systems or MEMS foundry. Jessica developed a love for high-tech entrepreneurship after holding positions at Standard Microsystems and Integrated Micro Machines. She and her husband, Patrick Katea, launched Rogue Valley Micro Devices in 2003 when Jessica was just 26. Jessica grew up in a largely Hispanic area of Long Island and at age nine was unable to read or write and had never been enrolled in school. She moved with her family to rural Oregon at the age of 12 during the spotted owl crisis. And I wanna talk about that. It was during this time that her family fell apart and she found herself homeless for a year, couch surfing with friends, sleeping in her car and living in tents and parks. She was first enrolled in public school in Oregon in 10th grade and quickly had to catch up with her classmates. Her grandmother learned Jessica was homeless and moved her back to New York to live with her and that changed her life. She graduated on time from high school and enrolled in college while working full-time in the MEMS industry. Jessica was recently named to the 2021 Women of Influence list by the Portland Business Journal. In 2020, she received the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of, the, Entrepreneur of the Year Award and Executive of the Year Award from the Portland Business Journal. She was also named on the 2019 MEMS World Summit Most Recognized Speaker and Semi Foundation Spotlight on Women. Jessica, you are incredibly impressive. I am so excited to talk to you. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a well, pleasure it, to be here. It is my it is my pleasure. So let's start by talking about what, because this is the first I've heard of it, what mm -hmm. exactly MEMS is, microelectrico, micro, I can't even say it, <laughs> microelectromechanical <laughs> systems. That's the last yes. time I'm going to say it. What is, <laughs> what is a MEMS foundry? What do you do? So we are basically a contract manufacturer. So our customers bring us their designs, so the chips that they want to make, um, and then we do the actual fabrication here. So when we're done, we're returning to them an actual uh, physical device that moves and grooves and produces data, essentially. Interesting. And that's so exciting that that's happening here in the United States. <laughs> Yeah. And, yeah, we're and not in China few. or somewhere else. <laughs> not in China. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So so this is the this is the problem you're solving, right? You're making these chips for people to use in whatever their devices are. Yeah. I mean, there is, we get to see because of where we sit in that ecosystem. So we're kind of earlier stage, we get to see projects. Um, coming in where, you know, there's been some research and development done on it. Maybe they mm -hmm. produced one version of, of their technology, but they're mm -hmm. still in the process of honing that in. And we get to see that pretty early on. Uh, and because we have the basic building blocks to build almost any kind of device outside of uh, like an IC style device, mm -hmm. because of the materials differences, um, we see all a big cross-section of all the different types of technology being developed, everything from biotech to different types of sensors, telecommunications type devices. So mm -hmm. it's a pretty exciting time right now. Where, where do the um, ingredients for your chips come from? Uh, all over. So we we use the you know specialty gases and and chemistry. So different types of chemicals. Mm -hmm. um, we also use basic you know things that you would find in in a hospital. And sometimes that can be uh, tricky to get a hold of when you hear things you know that that uh, uh, 
you know, lots of oxygen is being used out in the world. And during mm-hmm. the pandemic, that got to be a little bit dicey. But I have to tell you, the supply chain challenges that we're seeing now uh, is pretty unprecedented. We've we've never been in an environment where just getting a simple part can take three months. Um, and so figuring out how to manage that from spare parts, because we're a manufacturing operation, yeah. right? Um, it takes a lot to keep us up and running. It's it's a constant ex- exercise and in, in vigilance and planning. And so mm-hmm. um, it just adds another sort of monkey wrench in, into um, our operation and, and figuring out how to really keep our lead times down and, and deliver for our customers. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I, w- I was going to talk about the, the impact of your business by COVID. Mm-hmm. Would you, would you, I mean, is this something that ha, have people just not gone back to work? Or are they just so far behind? I mean, I'm always interested in different industries, why we're still having supply chain issues. I, I agree. And I've thought about this quite a lot from yeah. a public policy perspective and also from an industry perspective, what is preventing people from, um, from coming back to the workforce? And it mm-hmm. was like, we we start to we started to see a, an issue with this. I would say five or six, seven years ago, something like that. And now it's to the point where we're asking ourselves, where did everyone go? <laughs> and I yeah. think it's a, probably a combination of we have a, a aging workforce, so mm-hmm. people are retiring. Baby boomers, out. that's right. Baby boomers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, We've also had a situation where two-parent working household is very, very challenging because of the school situation, right? So as a parent, you don't know whether your child is going to be sent back uh, uh, due to an exposure or something like this, sent home, Mm -hmm. and that could be a two- or three-week period of time. And so trying to work and do school and manage children, that is a lot of, of extra uh, I guess it's not burden, but it's extra things that parents didn't used to have to worry about. And many, I think, you know, decided moms and dads said one of us is going to stay home and manage all of this and, and the other is, is going to stay in the workforce. And right. So I well, think that's it, impacting us. Yeah. Well, and of course, you know, running a manufacturing facility, people have to be in the office. Right. You know, you can't, <laughs> yeah. you can't phone it in. Yeah, there's probably about maybe four that could actually get away with working from home right now because we're so we're so heavy on the on the engineering and, and yeah. the process technician side to to really get the get the work out. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, as I said, you and your husband founded the company um, back in 2003. So you know, you're closing mm-hmm. in on 20 years. And what was the and you have bootstrapped the whole thing. Tell me a little bit about the genesis of, you know, you were in the business, the genesis of, you know, your journey to saying, I mean, at 26, which is really impressive, I'm going to go found, I'm going to go start a company. (laughs) I don't think I had any idea what I was getting into. People tried to tell me. Yeah. Um, And I was absolutely, you know, when you're 26, you're, you can be pretty clueless about some things. Um, But, you know, we had, so my husband and I met at work. We both got recruited out to, this was in uh, Hop Hog on Long Island, mm-hmm. and we both got recruited out to a company in Southern California, which was an all-optical startup company. And the CEO there was mm-hmm. very engaging, was um, all about entrepreneurship, really expected you to be entrepreneurial Wonderful. in your job and how you yeah. tackled your work. Um, but it didn't last long. That company, I think, spent something like $40 million in a very short amount of time. Mm. And so it was a pretty big boom and bust. And right around September 11th timeframe, when that mm-hmm. whole thing happened, um, and then the telecom industry collapsed, that, you know, we were part of, you know, the, the team that actually disassembled that facility mm-hmm. and auctioned off the equipment. Wow. And after that, we realized, hey, you know, we love being part of this, this technology development community. We love doing uh, R&D type of work, but we can't move every three years chasing that, right? So mm-hmm. our solution was that we were going to start our own, own, own company with no money and no experience <laughs> of those things and and uh and we ended up here in in medford oregon but it was trying to figure out how to um how to bootstrap something like that was Mm -hmm. i think it took me about eight months to figure out if it was actually even going to work and even then it felt like jumping off a cliff 
you know, because so you've got everything a little bit more. Uh, yeah, I'd like to hear a little bit more about that, Jessica, at, you know, what what you had to figure out over that eight month period, like what you you know, you walked in and you're like, holy crap, I, I didn't realize this. I didn't realize that. Yeah. <laughs> well, to to get to to get to the point where we thought we might have enough money to actually launch, we had we had uh, bought a house that needed a, a remodel. Um, desperately. And so when we knew that we were going to move, we put it right on the market and took that small amount of dollars that we got in in profit. And mm-hmm. that is what we used to start the company along yeah. with a lot of personal guarantees and, and all of this. And when we first turned everything on, I think we've got, we had about $15,000 in bills per month and 4,000 left in our line of credit and every single <laughs> credit card maxed. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, yeah. And every entrepreneur <laughs> understands that, that is bootstrapped. I resemble that remark. But, you know, during that time of setting everything up, I mean, it was two people setting up a facility all on our own. So I got to learn how to, you know, glue PVC pipe together, how to wire up mm-hmm. machines, how to, um, how to do a lot of the mechanical work that I'd never been exposed to as a girl growing up in Long Island. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's right, just not yeah. something that I, I'm like, okay, well, I've got to order these series of parts. Tell me what they do. You know, how do I check if they, if I ordered the right thing? Mm-hmm. All of that kind of stuff, starting from the very beginning. Um, but uh, you know, I, I would say for the first five years, eight years, it was really challenging because we started during a recession. Mm-hmm. And then, and then we had the Great Recession right after that. Right, four years later, um, and we, you know, we went through a period of time where it was really we we thought we were going to possibly lose everything. Yeah, um, but yeah. you know, you rebuild, and when you don't have a choice, you just continue to move forward, right? Well, I mean, you, I mean, ultimately, I, I want to point this out: you do have a choice. Your choice is go out of business or keep moving forward. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, and, you know, your choice was keep moving forward. And I mean, all the greatest entrepreneurs, that's what they do. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. (laughs) Right? It's true. Yeah. It's easy to quit. It's hard to keep going. It can feel much easier to give up than it it is to think about enduring, you know, another 18 hour day with, Mm -hmm. you know, wondering if, you know, those checks that you sent out, if if you're actually going to have enough money in the bank to cash them. It's, you know, that's, that's a challenge. But. So why did you choose to bootstrap and not, I mean, maybe it was your age and, and not, you know, seek institutional capital or why have you not sought institutional capital? I mean, you've- you know, in the very beginning, no one was interested in mm. um, semiconductor manufacturing or MEMS manufacturing, right? Yeah. It was, it was something that all, any investor that you talk to that was in their right mind would mm. run very far away from. <laughs> Because it was being done elsewhere, right? In other countries. It was being done elsewhere. Yeah. And then there was this um, there was this period of time right as the dot-com boom kind of hit its peak where yeah. companies would go, they would raise money um, from venture capital on yeah. an idea. And then they would say, in order to execute this, we need to uh, develop our own manufacturing capacity. Mm-hmm. They would spend millions of dollars on these, you know, small MEMS, you know, microchip manufacturing mm-hmm. facilities. And then four years later, it was boom and bust. You know, they they mm-hmm. either, the, the yes. cost of running that operation would actually drain a lot of dollars off. So investors stopped doing that completely, mm-hmm. which um, made our job much more difficult starting up, but it also created the opportunity for us to gain market share in what we do because we were that recipient of those um, projects that people couldn't do themselves because of that that change in structure, right? Mm-hmm. But that change in um, strategy by the mm-hmm. investment community. So what about taking money now? Or is it just you don't need it anymore? Um, we're trying to hold off. So I want to get to a point where the company is solidly um, middle market. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we don't have to sell necessarily a, a controlling interest and st- well. kind of go through that I mean that—that's more private equity. I mean, I wouldn't. I, you know, why would you sell controlling interest? That would be foolish. Well, right, and and you know, in order to do what we do, some of the some of the investments are so huge that mm. um, you can you can present yourself and they say, well, you know, your company isn't isn't worth that. So it's still a challenge for manufacturing, and that's why something like the Chips Act um, was actually pretty mm-hmm. important. Yes. Yes, um, and, you know that 
that that was recently passed, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, I mean, you know, I don't want to get into politics here, but um, I will say that that it, it's unfortunate that it took what's happened over the last two and a half years for this country to realize because every administration talks about bringing jobs back to America and they never do. Yeah. And they never do, regardless of what side of the political spectrum you're on. And this act is something I believe we we really need. I mean, it really will bring manufacturing back to this country, some at least. At least some. And, and they, mm-hmm. they structured it, I, th- I think, in a way that's going to be helpful to the entire supply chain. We talked about that a little bit earlier. Right. Um, and there is a lot that goes into supporting this style of manufacturing outside of the facilities themselves. So you mm-hmm. have this really long chain of everything from uh, machined parts to injection molding parts to um, the materials used mm-hmm. during the manufacturing project process that is really important. And the way the supply chain is right now, we have certain things that are clustered in, in particular parts of the world and they're all there. So what happens is you have hurricane, some sort of natural disaster, geopolitical tension, right? right? right. That there's not enough diversity of where the supply chain is right. actually to support keeping that stable. So, and we, now we know that, right? And, we, and yeah. I think there was, uh, uh, people knew that there was a risk there, but it hadn't been tested yet <laughs> in the way that yeah. it was just recently. And uh, I think this will help a lot. So, so when did you start, I mean, you know, at what point did you start hiring employees? So we started hiring employees, I think two years after we were operational. So we started super, super tiny and did everything ourselves. Um, And then we brought on um, a couple of people to help. And that grew pretty quickly. So I think within that first year of hiring, you know, we had a team of eight. We had a team of, you know, 13 or 14 by the time the pandemic, or not the pandemic, but the Great Recession hit. And then mm-hmm. that turned to basically zero for a little bit. <laughs> mm. But, you know, it's, it's um, we learned a lot about not having been a anyone's boss ever, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, you go through that learning period and, right. and uh, that was pretty, pretty interesting. And we're still figuring it out, how, how to manage company culture, how to, um, inspire your your mm-hmm. workforce and and the people who are there mm-hmm. putting the bulk of their day into making helping your your right. company and your customers become successful. So, so so the bulk of your employees are blue collar employees. Would you is that is that how you would define them? Um, I would working say working in manufacturing or I would say it's I don't know if I would define it that way. Okay. Um, we have some really highly, highly skilled people working okay. back there, and oh. each one of them is very, very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and it requires a lot of training. Yeah, don't misinterpret blue collar for not skilled or not yeah, important. It, okay, it's, um, that's not at so all my, a, my intention. Yeah, we've got a, a mix. Um, we've okay. got engineering. We've got, but we're more. Um, we're manufacturing focused. So that's where the bulk of our right. employees live mm-hmm. their life is get, you know, gowned up in a clean room suit. Yeah, right, so right. They're not desk jobs. Yeah. Right. Right. So, um, you said that, that, you know, we had the great recession and, you know, you had about 15 employees and that went to zero. Did it go to zero because you had to lay everyone off? It did. Yeah. It did. I it laid hurt. everyone off. Um, and it, w- it happened so quick. We looked at the end of that month and it was like somebody had forgotten to invoice customers. I mean, we were half, maybe less than half of what the typical revenue should have been. Mm. Um, and People just so, stopped buying. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And we yeah. just, you know, we looked in and we said, okay, this is the only way that we're going to be able to make it. We mm. laid everyone off. I went to every single vendor that we had and I asked for extended terms. I asked for mm-hmm. discounts. I, you know, met with our landlord and mm-hmm. gave them a whole presentation about how we we're going to save the company. Um, and then I took whatever last remaining, you know, combined room I had on my credit cards and we, we invested in developing a new website and we hired a salesperson. Um, that was very, uh, I would say industry specific Mm -hmm. and that, and we started to sort of rebuild from there. And I would say by the end of six months, we had, um, we had the folks back that, that 
we really needed to have back Good. and we were pretty stable after that but it was okay. scary and, yeah. they, and they and they were willing to come back they were willing to come back yeah was it because they hadn't found anything else yet or because you just you know when you laid everybody off you did it the best way you could <laughs> i did it the best way that that i knew how and yeah. i didn't leave them with the company is you know shutting down and and we just have to lay you off because we can't afford you right. what i presented to them is the same plan i i gave to everyone else which is you know here's what we're planning to do and this may seem a little ass backwards right because of hiring and investing in certain aspects of right. the business even though we're laying you off at this time the intent is to bring you back as soon as possible. Right. And I think, you know, that is maybe a little bit different than what a lot of people at that time experienced. But we were so small that, um, you know, I think it was it was doable and we, we yeah. were able to pivot in order to kind of accommodate, you know, bringing back that, that revenue. Okay. So you have currently about 30 employees-ish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, What's Always your what? <laughs> well, right. So that's what I want to talk about. Yeah. What's your talent strategy been in hiring, and where have you made mistakes? Why do you think you've made those mistakes, and how have you pivoted to fix them? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, so for the 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 people that we try to hire, there's um, there's a two buckets, really. There's our engineers, and then there's right. what I would call process technicians who have, we basically train from scratch. Um, and what I, what the mistake I feel like in some cases we made was not seeking out um, those engineering folks that had prior experience in mm -hmm. our industry. So although they were smart and totally capable and we could train them and they would learn really, really quickly and, and well, and they were phenomenal, um, when it came down to it, this is not where they ultimately belonged. So mm -hmm. it was, they were more in exploratory mode than mm -hmm. building a career. Mm -hmm. Um, and that gets very, very expensive over yes, time. So we, we stopped doing that and, Good. and, um, we started recruiting from outside our area. Um, and outside that's been, geographic area. Yeah. And, and that's bringing been people in successful. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and many of the engineers that are being trained in our industry are, um, they're foreign nationals. And so there's an added complexity um, to really? that hiring process and the management process. You know, we now have an immigration lawyer that, that we contract with to help us through some of those things. And, um, you know, there's, because we do some work that is ITAR sensitive, there's a lot of regulation around that. And so, but that's part of the maturing process, right? Um, and, and we, we greatly benefited from being able to pull people from all over that, that we needed that were experts. Right. ITAR, Jessica? Explain. Yeah. International traffic and arms. <laughs> so it's, what is that <laughs> exactly? It's it's basically if you want to do any work that's um, uh, sensitive has a sensitive either um, uh, IP so intellectual yep. property or anything yep. like that yep. that's associated with national security or military okay. related. Mm -hmm. um, that's how it impacts us. So we have to be right. very careful about who sees what designs. Sure. Right? No, I so, and that yeah. makes perfect sense. We've we've yeah. all seen that movie, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> or, or many of those movies. <laughs> right. And that movie is real. There was, there was a story a few years back where a company who was making servers yeah. found a sleeper chip in their, in their system. Oh my God. Unbelievable. And it was done during a teardown. They were selling the company and the new buyer said, Hey, we want to tear down the system and check it out. And that's how they found it. Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah. So is this because a lot of the engineers that you're, you're you're seeking out or that are being sought out are foreign nationals, or would that be it wouldn't even matter if they were you know American born. I I don't care where they come from, what gender, what culture. Right <laughs> at this point, I just need I need some good solid um, technical people, and so having a wide pool yes. makes it much easier to find a good fit. Well, I mean, you're preaching to the choir. Yeah, right? I think that's that's and you started that before COVID or not. Before, yeah. Yeah, so you mm -hmm. were smart enough to realize that. Uh, there are a lot of companies who aren't, yeah, you know, smart enough to realize or they just were like, no, no, they have to be here. I'm like, well, why would you limit? I mean, yeah, you can move them here. Yeah. But, you know, why would you limit 
and and I think that's a challenge that I don't think I know it's a challenge that so many companies are encountering. Right? Do we? You know, there are companies that are being hailed for, oh, we're going to 100% remote. Well, that doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. Nor yeah. does 100% in the office work for everybody. No, I think flexibility is really important. It really depends on how someone works and what That's their right. situation is and, and mm-hmm. what their job is like. Mm-hmm. And we've got now, again, not to not to get political, but we have, uh, I think, a lot of legislators that um, view things as a sort of very static and mm-hmm. and it makes when they put legislation in place to what they yeah. think is sort of widen that and create more flexibility actually it actually makes it much more difficult yeah. to be accommodating to individual people right yeah. um and so you know we're working through a lot of those types mm-hmm. of types of issues too and what yeah. is that mix of you know can can we send a process tech home and have them work mm-hmm. on you know things like uh yeah. work instructions and things like that to try to give them some flexibility yeah. as well yeah yeah well you know pol- politicians frequently make decisions because they think it's going to get them votes not because it's good for you know yeah. a small business owner <laughs> So you hope that's not the case. And, and, and well, often. hope hope is not an effective strategy. I hate to break the news to you. <laughs> so in case you didn't already know that. <laughs> so what's the competitive nature of your business look like, Jessica? Well, we've got um, we have uh, I would say a handful of companies that do what we do. Um, interesting enough is that many of them are actually customer of ours. Um, oh. So um, we have this interesting sort of cooperation with certain companies. Mm-hmm. And, and it's because of the nature of how we started. So because we started so tiny, there was only a, a handful of services that we could actually offer. Right. Um, and so we became, in many ways, like an extension of their manufacturing facility. So when they would need a particular process, they'd send it to us and we do it and we send the, the silicon wafers back to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're still doing that. And so we um, we have that, that, that relationship. It's done, um, I think it's been really good for us. I tend to be much more open and collaborative. Um, and I, we have, uh, no, no issues with working with a customer, with another supplier vendor to help second source, um, that, that manufacturing mm-hmm. for them, mm-hmm. <clears throat> because they'll tell you what, like if your customers can't be successful, even though people want to sort of hold them almost captive a little bit, mm-hmm. so they don't, they're worried about losing the business. Mm-hmm. If they can't grow and they can't satisfy the, the need of the market mm-hmm. and they don't have redundancy, you're really not helping yourself either. I mean, it's it's we are all connected in that ecosystem, right. and it's really important that it functions. Um, and with lack of uh, capacity in the U.S., um, that has really, I think, brought hmm. a, a, a level of collaboration between you know our and within our industry. That's that's pretty special. Interesting. So would you say? I mean, would you say that the biggest challenge you're facing right now uh, within your company and even in the industry is the supply chain issues? I would say supply chain. And I think that the root cause of a lot of those supply chain issues is the workforce. Yeah. And so I would say probably workforce is, is number one. And that is causing issues with the supply chain and Mm -hmm. the supply chain is causing issues with long lead times. And now nobody can get what they, what they need. And so, yeah, it's, it's um, usually challenging. You know I mean? I talk about this every single day, with, with, with leaders and, and, you know, you hear about, here's what the unemployment is and everybody has mm-hmm. a sign out that they need, that they're, that, you know, everybody's got a shingle out, we're hiring. Yeah. And yep. nobody can understand like where, like to your point earlier, where did everybody go? <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, at that point, so then the question becomes, well, what do we do about it? Right. And- well, that's exactly right. You can sit, you can sit and bitch and moan. Oh, mm-hmm. woe was me. Yeah. You know, or you can you can take your circumstances and manage them, right? And yeah. I, you know, I, I said to somebody recently, um, one of one of my partners, she and I were talking about the baby boomers retiring. Oh my goodness. I mean, I've been in Colorado almost 20 years before I ever moved here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, back in maybe 2000, 2001, 2002. Yeah. And nobody was nobody else was talking about it. Like yeah. like this is a real thing. Don't put your head in mm. the sand. And now look it's where a we real are. Thing. Yeah. Is, of course it's a real thing. So, <laughs> you know, so the question is and and 
many industries, and I, I ask this of founders every day, what are you specifically doing in your industry to generate a pipeline of talent? So we've been involved with the workforce system in a for oh, years now in our local okay. area and in our state and Great. trying to um, highlight the situation, um, you know, just like you before it was a real issue. Um, and so that, that seems to be um, helpful. It's a long game, right? You're not going to see um, these no, kids that you're right. working to inspire for another 10 years. That's right. Um, however, um, we've been at it long enough to actually start to see some of that um, coming back to us, which is, which is nice. But mm-hmm. um, it is, it's, a, it's a slog. And being in a very specific sort of niche in manufacturing, mm-hmm. um, it just makes it um, even more challenging because you right. can't get a community college to develop a program for you know a handful of companies, one or two companies. It's, That's right. Um, they can't afford to do and that. And so, right. And so, there's there's things happening at our industry association. They're getting very involved and um, trying to provide um, standardized guidance for training mm-hmm. and support those institutions that have micro and nano fabs. Um, there's a whole underpinning to this CHIPS Act that actually has um, dollars set aside specifically for workforce development. I wish they had put something in that legislation to address um, the H-1B visas um, and to try to help us retain those students that we're we're educating in some of our finest universities that have knowledge and experience and specialties in the area of MEMS and semiconductor. Um, That hasn't, it hasn't happened. So that's right. Because had they put it in, they wouldn't have gotten the other side to vote. Right. And, and this is, this is a frustrating thing about politics. All they're, you know, they just don't really look at the impact on small businesses, you know, or, I mean, larger businesses have, have a better, I mean, they've got more money to spend. They can, Mm -hmm. you know, they can do that, but small businesses, it's, it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder. And, you know, know, I think that if they just simply lift some of the caps temporarily, Mm -hmm. that that would help a lot. So we're not Mm -hmm. um, limited. I mean, we had an employee here that made it into the lottery, um, hit the company that he was working for at the time, um, ended up closing. And so now he's here. And we tried to work something out. That didn't work out. So now he's back in that the pool didn't make it. So it's Ugh. this whole thing. And he's here working and he was educated at, you know, he went to ASU, right? <laughs> um, but it, I think the more we talk about it, yes. the more we um, advocate for ourselves, the more we highlight yeah. the fact that this is going to dramatically impede our progress with onshoring right. or executing on some of the things that I think are important for national security mm-hmm. or important for um, our economy. And <clears throat> we just have to, to continue to put the pressure on. I, I agree. And, and, you know, as a business owner, I think it's just super critical that, you know, we are each in, in, especially in the states we live in, going to our legislators yeah, and mm-hmm. saying, you know, you talk about small business, but what are you doing for us, really? I mean, there are, yeah. you know, there, when, when, uh, I'm trying to remember when it was, when the food was rotting on the vine, right? Because they, oh, you know, oh, course. you know, we should hire Americans. Guess what? Americans will, won't do that job. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let's not, <laughs> we have to come up with the solutions. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and and by either a lot of jobs, Americans just refuse to do. And, you know, that's that's a whole separate conversation. And a lot of it is in national natural resources. I mean, you mentioned right. farming, ranching. Um, right. Same thing in forestry. It's very, very difficult to to attract people to forestry industry. And these pieces are um, seasonal. Yes. And so to try to, you know, part of the guest worker program was to try to help right. um, manage that that seasonality of mm-hmm. some of the things that we need to do and actually give opportunity for people who don't necessarily want to leave their country, but want to be able to make money, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so, and so we've kind of lost that in this ideological sort of argument over immigration. Mm-hmm. But the, the real crux of it has been, it's always been about workforce and how we right. sort of manage, um, well, manage ours here. Po- yeah. Politicians need to get some, get some cojones and uh, start standing up and for the, for themselves and for what's right. 
for everyone in this country and for the businesses in this country, right? It would certainly be helpful for our economy, yeah. It really would. So um, what do you, how are you, how do you attract your customers? Are you, do you do outbound, inbound? Is it referrals? Like, where are you finding your prospects? Um, everywhere, really. Mm-hmm. A lot of referrals. Uh, we find that customers are finding us on the web. Um, mm-hmm. We have an online store that we started just to, to help um, companies who couldn't deal with the long lead times for um, uh, more customized type of products. Mm-hmm. So we have that on the shelf. That's attracting a lot of people. Um, and we're out. We're out at conferences. I mm-hmm. do, you know, talks at, and panels and, you know, industry um, events and just really staying out there and staying active in that community. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also, over time, you know, you build those deep rooted relationships. And in our industry, mm-hmm. these are all connected. So even though, one person might leave a company and they end up going somewhere else and, and they come back to you right. um, if if you have served them well. And, and that's what we always try to do is customer service has got to be first, just like in any other business. Of course. Yeah. Um, in your industry, is it is it male dominated? Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> Very. So how, how does that feel for you as a woman out on an island? <laughs> You get underestimated a lot. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure you do. So yeah, I, I want to hear a little bit more about that as a you know as a female leader and especially as you know as a woman who started her company very young. Um, yeah. I mean you know you know young males are doing that all the time, right? I feel that um, <clears throat> it's a little bit of an it's less of an issue now because yeah. we're a known quantity and people right. are used to me, right? But in the very beginning, being under the age of thirty and a woman. Um, in an industry that ha- most of the leaders are very, very, they're in their 50s yeah. um, because it takes a really long time to build the amount of knowledge that you need mm-hmm. in order to lead a company or or uh, a development group or something right. like that. Um, and so people's reaction were like, who, who are you? <laughs> what are you doing here? I've been asked for, you know, you go to a conference and um, it's 500 men in suits and, and, and me and, um, and the staff, right? <laughs> so, you know, you have, hey, yeah. do you know if they're going to, you know, are you guys going to bring more coffee down to this? I think this is empty. Like, I'm like, no, I'm a, I, I actually, I'm here for the conference. Um, oh so, God. you know, there's the, those types of things. I've been in situations where um, negotiating um, an equipment purchase, you know, they can be up to half a million dollars or more. Sure. Um, and, you know, working with the team who's um, potentially going to disassemble and, and decommission the tool and to mm-hmm. asking them, you know, questions like, I don't see the cryogenic pump uh, here on this tool. Does, you know, where is it? Has it been removed? Did I just not get a picture of it? And they're like, oh, no, it's there. And I'm like, no, it's not there. And and they just, they don't, they don't understand that Mm-hmm. that you are actually, you know, that you might have more technical knowledge about that subject than they do. Than, yeah. than they do. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can work that to your advantage as well. <laughs> but it's it's a little bit, it can be a little bit lonely. And I think now yeah. at least um, in our industry, we're having, we have more women graduating with these um, really Great. amazing technical degrees. Mm-hmm. The trick is how do we make sure they don't select out, self-select out? Yes. Um, how do they? How do we make sure that they're supported enough as they start families? Because um, it's tough if you're a nursing yes. mom and you are trying to manage an engineering career. <clears throat> that's that can be. Yeah. Um, it can get to the point where you just feel like it's not worth it, right? And and I think a lot of women decide that they're going to focus on family instead. Yeah. And, um, we need them. We need yes. them to stay engaged and involved. In fact, our whole here and just wasn't on purpose happened um just because they're great our whole executive team right now is women oh that's fantastic yeah yeah um, i was going to ask you about they're, that they're great i mean they've done an incredible mm-hmm. job they're they're at the top of their field um they're learning they're growing and and they do an amazing job do, do you know jessica that i think and i've written about this and i should just know this number off the top of my head Women in executive leadership roles raise the revenues or directly responsible for the revenues of the comp- of a company going up something like 30%. Wow. I haven't heard that. Yeah. 
That's good for me. There's been a lot. There's been <laughs> a, me. no, you, use the Googler. Uh, there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of research that yeah. is really coming to head now talking about the benefits for a company of women in the executive leadership roles. Wow. Did they, did they indicate why? Like, is it due to some sort of creativity or just a different perspective? It, I, I think, I think, yeah, it, it is. And, and I, I should know this off the top of my head. So I'm going to, I'm going to speculate a little bit. I don't, Yeah. but, but ultimately I believe as a woman, <laughs> right. That we think about, we think in many ways differently than men. Mm. And I, I, at least myself, I, I have no use for politics, none, zero mm. politics in our political system, politics in my business. Yeah. I don't want it. It doesn't belong here. And I, I think with men, there's, there's a lot of jockeying around. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I am making a blanket statement, so I don't want to get any hate mail. Okay. When this comes out live. No, there's, there's definitely differences yes. in uh, management style in the approach to right. working with others. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. you know, that's why I think for, for us too, having diversity is, is actually really important. Not, yeah, well. not diversity, you know, for the sake of it, but because it, they, because right. different people bring yes. those of course they ingredients, do. Yep, right? In and fact, yep, yep, yep. Same thing, you know, if you have, if you're too lopsided in one area, yeah. um, Stuff starts to, you know, yeah. I've been doing this for what almost twenty years now, so we've seen both both ends of the spectrum, mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. uh, you know things can fall apart pretty easily if uh, you know if you don't if you're not honoring all of the different right. you know perspectives that people bring. So that's good. Yeah, we're just in fact, we're just finishing an article um, that covers covers this topic in part the importance of diversity yeah. um, to not have group. Yes. That's the whole point to bring different points of view in. And that's really, that's, you know, the reason for diversity is not to check a box. Yeah. The reason for diversity is to actually bring in different ideas and perspectives. So, so, you know, talking about that your entire executive team is full of women, let's look at the rest of your organization, Jessica, you know, you're clearly, I, you know, I find that women leaders are really focused on bringing in other women into their organizations. Uh, certainly I think far more than, than men are, I hate to say it, but I think it's true. And, you know, to your point about self-selecting out and how you can support women, are you going directly into the universities? And, and going into these programs and saying, hey, we need to get, you know, we want to recruit you right out of school. And is that even a possibility? It is a possibility. And we have done it. In fact, our, our, our highest level engineering person right now that, that's managing that team, um, we hired almost directly right out of school from Oregon State. And mm-hmm. she started with us and had um, no experience yeah, working in semi or mems or any of it. Um, mm-hmm. And in a very short time, she has done extremely well. That's and fantastic. It's been great. I mean, it's amazing to watch, you know, someone like that sort of grow and thrive. And, you know, you hire them and they're 23 or 24 years old. And I talk to her, I'm like, how old are you now? She's like, oh, I'm past 30 now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah. I'm and almost like trying to make, you know, <laughs> yeah. travel arrangements for somebody who was built, who was born in 1995, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. who is perfectly capable of doing that on their own. Right. <laughs> right. So that's fantastic. Um, I want to, I want to, I, I could, I mean, I could really sit here and talk to you for another hour. Um, but, but I want to make sure that I have time to talk to you about a couple of, a couple of things. And, you know, one is how you spend your time when you're not working. I know that yeah. you have a great dedication to giving back to your community. You're chair of the Oregon Institute of Technology Board of Trustees. Um, we're appointed by the governor to serve in the Oregon Healthcare Committee and the Oregon Business Development Commission, Business Oregon, Oregon Business Council, among others. What, what has you, what's the impetus behind all that for you? For me, I see so much potential, uh, of potential for our state, potential for businesses here that I really felt it was important to get involved because we were missing some really, some really, I would say, um, 
we were missing people that came to the table that that really understood the impact of legislation on Mm -hmm. the business community here and so getting involved with boards and and commissions were it's a way to at least help to form the execution or the um, implementation Mm -hmm. of some of the things coming down from the legislature so uh, some are some are really Im- uh, great boards and commissions to serve on. Others you just don't have the level mm-hmm. of impact that that you yeah. hope to have, and so um, you you know you kind of take the good with the bad. Um, and a lot of that is relationship based too. And when there's an issue mm-hmm. here locally, you know I can make a phone call and say, hey, at least explain what's happening. Even though yeah. I you know even though we don't really have a ton of influence as to you know, whether or not um, things move forward, but can you actually at least give me a heads up? And um, that's been, that's been helpful. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think for, for my business community down here in Southern Oregon, um, but really uh, I think there's also sort of a a personal development piece too. You get to learn a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, There's outside of your own, when you, when you're a, a CEO of your own company for this long, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you want to get out and experience right. other styles of leadership, mm-hmm. other organizational structures, because if you can't do that, you don't learn, you don't move forward. You don't, right. you don't gather that information that you need in order to really be the leader that you want to be. Yeah. And so that's, it's a, you know, it's a really beautiful way to give back and also yeah. to gain that experience. Agreed. So those are sort of the business things that you do in your free time. What are the non-business things you like to do when you're not working? So I have two little ones. I've got an 11 and an eight-year-old. Okay. So a lot of it is spending time with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the summers, you know, we go to the to the lakes and, you know, we go spend mm-hmm. some time outside and mm-hmm. um, just really being a mom and, yeah. and making time for that. And that's sometimes it's a tough adjustment. You know, you spend all day at work and then you get home and, and you have to sort of switch gears. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, so, you know, keep trying to find ways to, to keep them engaged and put down the phone and, and really to be present. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I try to do that. Mm-hmm. Jessica, are you willing to say a little bit about how and why your family fell apart when you were just still a young child? And yeah. So my, my parents were really young parents. They were, I think my mom was 18 when she had me. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had four of us all right in the row. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, they had their own sort of challenges. You know, neither yeah. one came from backgrounds that were um, great. And as being young, you know, you end up passing that on to your children. So we had a pretty, we had a household that was very, very loving, but also very tumultuous. Yeah. And when my parents moved us from uh, New York to a Oregon. really real rural part mm-hmm. of Oregon, mm-hmm. There was there was no family support. Yeah. We didn't know anyone. Um, my dad tried to start his own cabinet company, um, you know, doing remodels and things like this, mm-hmm. and that was very very hard in a close knit community to get accepted and and to gain um, share of that market. And it just you know I think the pressures the the economic pressures along with you know just everything else that was going on for those two young parents mm-hmm. you know they just couldn't do it yeah um, and you know you had depression and and the fighting and mm-hmm. all that and then phew, that's it they decide that they're gonna um, untether. Um, but that really left kids that were supposed to be homeschooled, that, you know, all of these things that left us really in limbo land. And so right. um, I um, I tried really hard to kind of keep that family cohesiveness as much as I as much as I yeah. could as a you know twelve year old thirteen year old kid. Mm. Um, but I came to there was a, there was a point where I really felt like I wasn't going to make it. Like I I didn't want to live the way we were living. And so Mm -hmm. I left. And I think um, for me, it saved my life in one way and completely tossed me into a a world that was probably not a good place for a young girl, right? No, I can only imagine the horrible things that could have happened to you. Um, And and they do happen to young girls. They do. They do. But um, I, I think that I'm better off 
mm-hmm. having had that experience yeah. than than probably staying in that situation. Mm-hmm. And and I'm now in a position where I can help the rest of my family. You know, I yes. I was able to you know be successful despite some of the challenges that that we mm-hmm. had. And that, you know, all you need is one, right? All you need is one family member and it can change the whole trajectory of, Mm -hmm. of, of an entire family, siblings, you know, Mm -hmm. nieces, nephews. Um, And I would say, you know, that's been the case in, in my family, both um, in, in the previous generation, my grandmother was that person. I'm Mm -hmm. now, you know, holding that, holding that line for, for my current family. And, Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's, uh, I would say looking back on it now, I just feel so grateful that to have those relationships and to have gone through something like that and Mm -hmm. came out the other side um, healthier for it. This is not always the case. Mm -hmm. So Jessica, if somebody listening to this is as inspired as I am by listening to you and, and is thinking, gosh, this is a company I would really love to work for, what should they do? Yeah. Email us, go to the, go to the website. It's www.roguevalleymicro.com. Um, we're, we are setting a brand new, brand new page up for employees to take a look at. Um, we have our facilities in a beautiful, beautiful place. You would love it here. Mm. Um, but reach out to us. We'd mm-hmm. love to hear from you. Well, need I say more? Jessica Gomez, founder and CEO of Rogue Valley Micro, Micro Devices. Uh, You're an inspiration, and I really, really uh, value your generosity of being with me today. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. It's been great. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.